0: Well, good morning and happy new year. Uh, if you're listening to this message today, that means that you, you made it through what was perhaps one of the most unusual, uh, challenging, painful, and confusing years, at least in the 50 years of my life on this earth. But you know what? 2020 is behind us. It's in the rearview mirror. It's history. It's over. Never going to be revisited again. I was very encouraged to listen to Pastor Frank's message last week as he challenged us to not allow our circumstances to keep us from continuing to grow into what God is ultimately calling us to be. That's been a very challenging thing for some, perhaps more than others in 2020, but but God the Holy Spirit is the one who uses all of the circumstances in our life to forge the character of Christ into us. And it's because of that, that we can look forward to a new year of God's grace and mercy going before us. Like so many of you, I too am glad that 2020 is behind us. However, I have to be honest in saying that I get a little concerned with so much focus on the ending of 2020, that we need to have proper expectations for what 2021 may look like. It's my hope that 2021 brings in a new season of peace and, and health for our nation and for the world, but I think it's going to take a little bit more, in fact, a lot more than just the turning of the page on our calendars. And unless we have a proper theology on how we're going to live our lives in the midst of challenging times, we'll always find our emotions bouncing back and forth like a ping pong ball on the table of life's circumstances. And I want you to know that God has so much more for you than that. God doesn't want you coiled back in fear and worry and anxious over things that you have no control over. But for many in 2020, there was plenty of that going on. Today, I come to you with a message of hope. I come with a message of truth, a message of freedom from fear and worry and anxiety, a message that I believe when applied to our hearts in the most critical of moments will change the way we respond to the circumstances that come our way. God's people have always found themselves living in the midst of challenging times, but as followers of Christ, the joy of what God is doing in us must eclipse anything and everything that is happening around us because God uses the things around us to forge his character into us because he is in control of the circumstances we face. I wanna draw your attention to the Apostle Paul today and his words to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was very dear to the Apostle Paul. He planted that church. They shared a very close relationship and, and the church faithfully partnered with the apostle in the ministry that God had called him to. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's talking about their desire to come alongside and, and, and support him, but they didn't have the opportunity to do so. And he says, not that I speak in, in, in the position of need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am, to be content He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love these words from the apostle Paul. You've got to love and appreciate the heart of Paul. In any and every circumstance, he says, he learned how to be content. But notice what he says here. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. He said, I learned the secret. He says, because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was it in Paul that allowed him to courageously face whatever was ahead of him? What was his, using his own words, what was his secret that he makes reference to? Before we unpack that question, let's look a little further at this special relationship that, that existed between Paul and the church at Philippi. Paul knew obviously that his strength and his provision came from the Lord, but he also knew that God used the church at Philippi to help meet needs. Look what he says here. He says in verse 14 of chapter four, he said, yet it was kind of you to, I love this, to share in my trouble. You can hear his appreciation that that they were not just loving him from a distance, but they, they shared in his trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. You're the only church that stood up and said, we'll support you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And Paul says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knew what it was to be cared for, Paul knew what it was to be partnered with this group of people who shared in his troubles. But Paul also knew something that he highlights here. He says, Paul knew the secret to being content. Paul knew how to face the most difficult of times and to do it fearlessly. And that's what I want us to consider together this morning. How do we, de- how do we face difficult times and do it fearlessly? Fearlessly. When Paul opened up his letter to the church of Philippi, he expresses his thankfulness to them for their support and for, the, and their, for their care of him. Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. Certainly in the midst of a, a difficult time in his life as he found himself in a prison cell, in fact, Paul oftentimes found himself in a prison cell. Three quarters of the New Testament that we have was written by the apostle Paul many times of which he was writing from a prison cell. It's interesting how God allowed him to be going through a difficult time. And out of that difficult time came many of the letters that we enjoy that make up the New Testament. But listen to how Paul opens up Philippians chapter one and verse 12. He says, I want you to know brothers. Let's just stop there for a moment. And think about it. what Paul is doing is he's, he's about to paint a picture of what he's been going through and how he's been provided for and cared for even in the midst of difficult times, but he wants to encourage them. He says something here. He says, listen, I want you to know something brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Don't feel bad for me, he's saying here, but I want you to know something, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I love what Paul does here. We see that nurturing, shepherding heart, that fatherly heart wanting to put their mind at ease. This group of people who cared for him and shared in his trouble, who were aware of the things that he was facing. He's like, listen, I want you to know something. Notice what he's saying here, that instead of focusing on what's happening to me, he said, I want you to know, brothers, that God is at work in the midst of what's happening to me. Don't look at just what's happening, but look at what God is doing in the midst of it. In the midst of what's happening to me, the gospel is being advanced. In the midst of what's happening to me, the commitment to Christ was being communicated amongst all of the people in the Imperial Guard. Because of what was happening to me, Christians were becoming more bold and proclaiming their faith in Jesus Christ. And because of what was happening to him, they were preaching the gospel and they were doing it without fear. Paul saw his circumstances as opportunities to advance the gospel. Look what he says in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He's highlighting that what's more important than his own very well-being is the advancement of the gospel, the mission to which he was called. And he said, in that I rejoice. He said, and he says, and yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, now take notice of the confidence with which Paul is about to communicate this next section of scripture. He said, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now is always Christ will be honored in my body, whether that be by life or whether that be by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Notice the confidence, the assurance that comes from Paul. He said, I will rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope. I know I will not be ashamed. He goes, I have full courage now as always that Christ will be honored in my body. Hey, whether that's by my life or by my death for to me is to live is Christ and to die is gain. Such boldness from Paul, such confidence, such clarity and such an awareness of who owned Paul's life. Perhaps that was the secret that Paul makes reference to later in the letter. I have learned, he said, the secret. And because he had learned the secret, he was able to declare, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. I think that's exactly what Paul's secret was. Paul recognized that the secret to living was directly connected to his awareness that his life was not his own. In fact, he exchanged his life for this new life in Christ. I mean, that's what it means to be born again. It's the new birth. It's a new life. It's a it's a fresh start. It's a it's a new identity. If any man be in Christ, Paul will write in 2 Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We see this mindset, this, this, this uh, communicated all throughout Paul's epistles. Old things refer to our old identity, our old nature. I mean, Paul believed this stuff deep in his heart. We see it all over his writing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 19, he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? He says, you are not your own for you are bought with a price. So rightly glorify God in your body. Paul recognized that at that great exchange that took place at the cross, he exchanged his life and his life was not his own. He says, we were bought with a price. He writes to the church, he writes in Romans chapter six and verse four, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is raising the awareness that as we are in Christ, we have this new life. It is the secret of having the assurance and confidence that God is in control of this life that he's given to us. Colossians chapter three and verse three, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear With him in glory. This this same theme, this this continual reminder from the Apostle Paul your life is not your own. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. In writing to the church at Galatia, he says, For I, through the law, died to the law so that I might live to God. He's presenting a contrast. He's He's contrasting his death with now his life. I died to the law so that I might live to God. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Paul is is presenting this beautiful contrast of what was versus what is. We were dead in Christ, and now we are these new creations. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Do you realize the impact of what Paul is saying here? He's saying, My life is not my own. Your life is not your own. Therefore, you are not the victim of circumstances." Your life is not your own. Your, your footsteps are ordered by God. Your days are numbered by the, the sovereignty and the loving heart of your father in heaven. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Your hope is sure. Your destiny is sealed and your faith is unshakable. No wonder Paul could say, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ. In other words, for me to live is to live for Christ. And only when I live for Christ will I experience the fullness of life, that Christ has for me. Christianity is a call to a new life. It is putting aside our old life. Paul said, I die daily. I die to the things that are for me and I live for Christ. When I live for Christ, then then I experience the fullness of life. Christ has for me. In the garden, God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of man and man became a a living being as recorded in Genesis 2-7. But because of sin, because of man's disobedience, man died, that life was snuffed out for all humanity until Christ came. The one who declared that he was the way, the truth and the life the one who declared, I am the resurrection and the life. He that dies, even, even though he, a man may die, yet shall he live. And in John's gospel, Jesus foreshadows what will happen to the disciples in the upper room in Acts chapter two, when Jesus, just like he did in the garden with Adam, when he breathed the life into Adam, we see Jesus in John chapter 20 and verse 22, he breathes upon his disciples a foreshadow of what will happen in the upper room. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Not many days after that, that mighty rushing wind came upon the disciples and the church is birthed. And this new living, breathing life called the church is birthed. The ecclesia, the the called out ones, called out to live as Christ in the world around us. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Notice, notice the contrast here. The thief that Jesus speaks of is obviously the devil that seeks to rob you of your peace, your joy, and your blessing from God. That's his mission, right? To kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus came with a different mission. Jesus's mission was to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Have you considered that the things that cause the most pain and the most fear and the most anxiety are directly connected to the things that are inconsistent with your new nature in Jesus Christ? What does this new life look like? How do I walk in this new life that I have been a recipient of in Christ Jesus? Paul paints for us a beautiful picture in another letter he wrote, writing from a prison cell, to the church at Colossae. Paul says this, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's throwing a hypothetical out there. He's saying, listen, if you're a believer, if you've been raised with Christ, then here's what people who have been raised with Christ do. They seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, they have a heavenly mindset. He says here, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so the things that we go after and the things that we set our minds on ought to be directly connected to the things that are in heavenly places. Why? He says very clearly, verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, he's saying, dead things don't set their minds on things of the earth. Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's calling us to not... Be connected to the things of the world because when we're connected to the things of the world and we set our mind on the things of the world and we put our emotional eggs in the basket of the world, it's going to produce fear. It's going to produce anxiety. It's going to produce pain. And that's not consistent with what God has for you. And then Paul gives the instruction. Here's what he says to us. You ready here? He says, here's what you need to do. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The things that are in you that are inconsistent with your new nature. Paul says... Put them to death. Paul earlier said, I die daily. Every single day in Paul's life, he found those things that were within him that were inconsistent with his new nature. And this call to you and I is to put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you, because the things that are earthly in you are going to produce fear and anxiety and pain. And in this case, he says, here, put these things to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And he says, look, in these things, you too once walked when you were living in them. In other words, that's what you were before you came to Christ. That's what you walked in. That's what you lived in. But now, he says, there's been a change. That guy, that girl is dead. This new life has been produced by the power of God, by the power of the resurrection. And now you are to put away those things that you once walked in but now you are to put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. Paul begins to give us a list of things that oftentimes flow out of Christian mouths but are inconsistent with their Christian nature, and it causes a conflict within. And Paul is saying, that's what you were, but that's not who you are anymore. Put those things off put those things to death because it produces fear and anxiety and stress and it robs you of the goodness and the blessings of god he says and then having put on the new self now which is being renewed knowledge after the image of its creator here there is no neither greek or jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian or scythian or slaver free for christ is all and in all He said, that's what we were. That was the, those were the things that we were and that's what we were to put um, put those things off. And every time we engage in what we were, we lose the peace and the joy that comes from being in Christ. But now Paul lays out for us what the new life looks like. He says, now here's what I want you to put on. Now that you've got rid of that, now put these things on. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if someone has a complaint against you, forgive each other, even as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, Paul says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and notice what Paul says here. Here's what will happen when you do that. And then he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were in called, which indeed you were called into one body. And then Paul says, be, be thankful. Paul lays out for us the, the characteristics of the new nature, this new life. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be people of the word teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thank with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He's saying, be people of worship, be people of fellowship, be connecting with one another and encouraging with one another, not tearing each other down. Why? Because that just creates the things of the past and brings to surface things that are inconsistent with our new nature. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because your new nature, your new identity, is in Christ. He says, "Give thanks to God the Father through Him." So, so what does this all mean for us as we as we look at the blank page of 2021? It means that our life is not our own; it's Christ's, and because it's Christ's, we we have nothing to fear. It means that as 2021 approaches, we. We are to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, that we are to set our minds not on the Earth, but on things that are above, because as new creations in Christ Jesus, we are to rise above our circumstances and not be controlled by our circumstances. It means that in 2021, whatever comes your way, you don't need to fear, because your life is hidden with Christ in God fear not because you're not a victim of circumstances to live is Christ to die is gain and to the degree that I can say to live as Christ is the degree that I will be able to say to die is gain which is the degree that I will be set free from the fear of death George Woodfield had a powerful quote many years back. He said, I am immortal until my life's work is done. In other words, nothing can happen to you outside of God's plan and purpose for your life. You're not a victim of circumstance. And so celebrate the new year, but don't put your hope in the changing of the page on the calendar. But put your hope on the unchanging God who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, and who will love you for all eternity. And then sleep well at night knowing that God's got your back. Happy New Year.